You know the way in Birdemic, the scenes just... not. Yes, it is. It is nowhere near that. Shut up. Radio Drome. I'm not in a good mood tonight. Cecil made me do this. This is not my topic. I hated every single one of the movies we're going to be doing a retro on. Cecil's a partner here. I owe him some topic choices. And as always, he chooses wrong. Cecil, are you here tonight? Wah, wah, wah. It was three and a half movies, and like you're going to complain about this, there was at least some comedy in boobs, whereas with the uh, Children of the Corn movies, there was like, what, 15 of them? And uh, and the majority of them were bad. Nine, and we at least got to see Linda Hamilton dance all cute. Eh, but you know, they're, they're, that was like the first one. <laughs> it was all down, True. well, actually, and then the second one I like, and then it's kind of all downhill since from there. Peter, are you in as bad of a mood as I am over these movies? Buck a man, Josh. <laughs> oh. I'm gonna take that means I'm gonna be the uh, the odd man out tonight. Before, <laughs> before we get into the Sleepaway Camp franchise, Cecil, do you know the holiday Adam and Eve? Of course you don't. Why am I asking you? Um, if you like putting Christmas trees up your ass, then <laughs> that's a legitimate fetish. I've I've read. Oh my! I don't I don't doubt that. Uh, no, I I don't. Adam and Eve has a special special gift for you for the holiday season. They want you to kink up your holiday. You use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, at adamandeve.com, and you get 50% off of a single item, a naughty and nice kit, which includes an adult toy for her, an adult toy for you, and something you'll enjoy unwrapping together, plus free U.S. shipping, all for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Kink up your holidays. Speaking of kink... The Sleepaway Camp movies are, to me, anyway, to me, they've ridden off the admittingly pretty shocking and cool last five seconds of the first film for 35 years, and I don't think they've deserved that. Why are we looking at the Sleepaway Camp movies? The first one absolutely positively deserves its place in horror and cinema history. I think that when I first saw it, I was just completely unexpected because this was back before the internet and everything. So, well, not before the internet, but before the internet really ruined everything. And me and some friends just watched it on a whim because, you know, we liked horror movies and were completely blown away by the ending because the whole movie, I think the movie is very entertaining. It has a, it has a charm to it and the, the kills are brutal and it's unexpected. And it was something different. I mean, something that's been done to death a billion times now but then that ending just you know completely blows you away and uh there was a documentary uh where they were jo- about horror films where they were joking about the director of the crying game had to have absolutely seen sleepaway camp when he came up with the twist for his movie i can't agree with that because the twist in the crying game doesn't happen anywhere near the same way a chick with a dick is not that big of a twist but, it, but the thing was, 
it was a big deal back then. Now, not quite as big of a deal. But back then, back in, uh, you know, 80, whatever, uh, it was completely shocking. And the last thing that you expected, because it's like you had your ideas, eh, Angela might be the killer, might not be the killer, the you know. And then, honestly, that was just unbelievable. It blew everybody away. Then the sequels, because Robert Hiltzak, well, had nothing to do with uh, 2, 3, and 4. They were entertaining, but honestly, they could have been anything else they didn't need to be sleepaway camp movies he actually sold the rights to the uh michael a simpson who basically didn't he wanted to make his own movies so he didn't bring back felicia rose he hired uh, pamela springsteen uh who's bruce springsteen's little sister to uh play the role of angela now angela had completely gone post-op so she's now, you know, she now transitioned completely from man to woman. And uh, so uh, two and three are way more comedy and are very silly. And then four was a movie that they were Jim Markovic was working on uh, in the 90s, but ran out of money and only had about a half hour of uh, a half hour of footage. And so somebody came along and kind of stitched it together and made sort of a Franken film out of it. So it it. It's finished, but it doesn't really count because it's not really. I mean, it's it was never officially completed. It it was it never will be. Um, but it's as close to complete as it'll ever be. Four is really a glorified clip show. It really is, and it's. I mean, that's not the fault. I mean, it really, no one would have ever seen it if not for the fact that uh, Anchor Bay managed to get the footage and put it as like a bonus disc on the uh, Sleepaway Camp DVD. That one, I you know, people say that four is bad. Well. It, it it's fun. I mean, it's not the fault of the movie. It's just, I mean, who know? It probably would have been bad because it was kind of corny to begin with. But still, that one doesn't really count. And then five, which is really, as far as Robert Hiltzak is concerned, is Sleepaway Camp two because he ignores all the other ones. He got the rights back and managed to make an official sequel to the original Sleepaway Camp. I think five is easily the worst film in this whole franchise. Even oh more. no, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get into that later. But I like to turn to Sleepaway Camp. I like oh. it. 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 I don't know. It. Uh, I mean, I, I don't dislike any of them. Even four, which is broken as it is, it's. It's just. It's fan service at that point because, like I said, we're never. We were never supposed to see it. But two and three, like one is classic. Two and three are humorous and have a lot of na- have a lot of nudity. Four is an interesting clip show, and then five is the creator being able to go back and and follow up something that he wanted two years ago. And uh, so I, I like all of them to to various degrees, but the first one is still the best. Peter Cecil's wrong as always. Are you on my side or his on this as a franchise? Well, before I get into it, uh, for those paying attention right now and that have read the uh, the tweets, I forget who the who the person was, but there's a drinking game that's been now compiled for this show, and those keeping attention, Josh and Cecil have disagreed for pretty much every Sleepaway Camp film, so I'd say that's about four shots, and now with what I'm about to say, I consider Sleepaway Camp to be one of the best sleazy slasher films in the slasher genre, so that's Five shots of whatever you're drinking, if you're paying attention. If you're drinking okay. that much, can you really be paying attention? Yeah, pretty soon, not um, too much. You'd, you'd be surprised. But uh, yeah, now that we're now that our audience is uh, good and lit, I really enjoy the first film. 
Uh, we'll get into the other ones. I have, I have uh, not, I'm not as, not as much high praise when it comes to the sequels, but I really do consider the first one to be deserving of all the praise that it gets. I love the performances in it. I think the the kills are incredibly graphic and just and gruesome, especially the dude that gets the uh, the boiling water dumped on him. The effect for that is great. The dude that's covered in bees. The twist at the end, of course, is one of the most shocking moments in uh, just about any slasher film. It's you know it's right up there with the Jason popping out of the water at the end of the Friday the Thirteenth or the uh, the really messed up family dinner scene from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's it's right up there with with any of the big time classics. So I I consider Sleepaway Camp to be one of the best. I'm with I'm with Cecil all the way there. At least when it uh, at least when it comes to the first one. And see, I just can't agree with you guys. All joking aside, I I, I really did watch Sleepaway Camp again for I mean I'd seen it before. I watched it again with an open mind. Like everyone's saying this is so good, I remember not liking it. Let's see. And I was like, the acting is terrible. The direction is is just so bland. The editing is the worst thing about this movie. It, it, it was like they were straining. Like Robert Hiltzik was straining to hit feature-length running time. Like, Peter, you brought up the guy that gets the boiling water on him. That shot just goes on and on and on. Well, it's, uh, it's and, meant to and make it's like you the feel... camera just stay, and it's like, okay, cut. Why aren't you cutting? Why are you just staying on this guy screaming for over a minute straight? Cut! Because it's showing the boils and everything on his face popping. Some really awesome practical effects. They were holding on it to make it uncomfortable. It was yeah. uncomfortable because the editor in me is going, cut, cut already. Just stop, cut. And there are numerous other scenes that just, okay, when I'm talking about the editing, I'm, I mean that in a this is incompetent editing sort of way. Like someone will walk off camera and it won't edit and the edit won't go for five more seconds it'll just stay on like a blank table and then cut to the next scene like did you forget to put a cut in there i mean you know it seems like to me as i'm watching it the editor in me is going you are really desperately trying to drag this out to feature length running time and that you didn't reaching. have enough footage and you needed to get to 90 minutes because De- there are definitely I mean, reaching I, I i that's the way i looked at it was who edited this a blind woodsman but okay nah. i just i didn't like the story <laughs> I, the acting is ridiculous. The aunt, or you know, Angela's adopted mom. She was like. supposed to be nuts. She was an yeah. escapee from a rinse dream film. She would have fit perfectly in Cafe Flesh or Night Dreams for but God's dude, sake. Dude, did you not really catch the whole thing of how campy she was and how it sort of makes sense that she would dress a boy up as a girl? That's it's kind of what they were going for, that she was this sort of campy lunatic of a woman. And it sort of implied that her husband had had gone gay and, and stuff like that. She was kind of on the crazy side, and it was uh, meant to really illustrate why Angela would have been raised as as a girl or Peter would have been raised as Angela. Like that's kind of what they were going for. She was, if she was played all straight, then I don't know, it wouldn't have had the same kind of impact. And I don't really agree with the, the lingering, like to me, I'm disappointed by a lot of slashers where they cut away too quickly and they don't show you anything because a lot of slasher movies have a lot of great little practical effects that you'd like to see and they're usually very butchered by the MPAA. Like the Friday the 13th movies are a perfect example of that. So I like the fact that they actually have a version of this film you can watch where it's it is fully uncut and you can see everything. 
And I don't agree that they just didn't know when to cut. I think when it came to scenes like the dude that gets the boiling water pulled, uh, poured over all over him, uh, you're meant to feel uncomfortable because you're seeing this guy screaming in agony with like his skin popping and crackling. I actually thought it was very effectively done. Okay, this movie was made in 1983 on a $350,000 budget. It grossed $11 million at the box office. And Peter, you will get a kick out of this. Guess what 1983 movie it kicked the ass of in its theatrical release, released the same week? Take a guess. Which we one? talked about it recently. A movie we talked about recently? I, I don't know. My Amityville 3D got its ass kicked by this movie. I'm not at all surprised. <laughs> so Amity, Sleepaway Camp kicked the ass of Amityville 3D. Written and directed <laughs> by Robert Hiltzik, Wikipedia says that this film was also released on VHS as Nightmare Vacation. I have <laughs> never encountered that one. Have you, have you guys ever seen this as Nightmare Vacation? No. no. So that one, I, it's Wikipedia, so trust it You know, as much as you can trust Wikipedia. The film was a big hit, and I think, my opinion aside... It, it still did get lost in the glut of slashers. Because by 1983, the slasher genre was starting its decline. I think if the movie had come out a year earlier, it may even have done better at the box office. By 1983, mm. people were already getting sick of slashers, especially camp slashers. And, you know, with the burning and the Friday the 13th and all the Friday the 13th yeah. rip-offs and all that. I'm honestly a little surprised it did make $11 million even in 1983, but then it got kind of lost on video. It didn't play on cable all that much. The twist at the end is is the reason that Sleepaway Camp is so well-remembered. It's remembered for its five seconds. That's I'm, I'm not going to back off of that. Oh, God. If I would have been able to see it back then, probably would have uh, shocked me. I was eight. Did you exist yet? Yes, I was around, but uh, I would have been way too young to be into a theater uh, to be able to see that kind of thing. Yeah, I didn't see it until sometime in the 90s. There are a lot of movies that are well known for their ending. Uh, Seven uh, is is one that, that comes to mind. But that doesn't mean that that's all it's got going for it. I mean, like Peter said, the uh, the kills are brutal. Uh, I liked that they lingered on things. And that's one of my problems with a lot of just movies in general nowadays is that uh, sometimes they edit too much. Like they don't know how much to leave in. And so consequently, they're editing every three seconds or they're constantly cutting away from things or there'll be a, a gore scene that they'll they'll cut off too much so you don't really see as much as you should and it gets irritating. I, I don't uh, disagree with you. I don't disagree with you on that at all. But this just kept going to, not uncomfortable to me in the, wow, that's a graphic thing and it's an uncomfortable effect, in, uncomfortable in the movie just kind of freeze here. I mean, maybe it's because I'm an editor by trade that I'm going, I would have cut that off 15 seconds before they did. Kind of what I did for eight years until I got laid off. So I, I like to think of myself as, a, and I'm still editing. I disagree. I think that um, there there is that magical fine line. You have to know how much to edit. I think, I know I'm guilty of it too. Sometimes when you see something that you don't like, you start looking for additional things to nitpick. And I think that you're just being exceptionally nitpicky. I, it may or may not have done a little better if it came out earlier, but I don't know if people were necessarily getting sick of camp slashers in general. They it probably if it came out later, it just would have gone on to a risk of being labeled as too much of a Friday the 13th knockoff just because 
so many of those uh, those movies were dominating everything. And I think the reason why it wasn't played as much on cable was due to the fault of that ending, because I'm sure that was quite hard to edit and use uh, alternate takes for when uh, when you've got a, oh, you know, a little boy. Oh, Emmanuel <laughs> had her own TV series on, what was it, Cinemax or the movie channel? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it, it didn't have, a, like, really a big, like, cable run, though, when it comes to movies like Sleepaway Camp, because that is kind of hard to, to edit on TV, because back then the MPAA was already butchering movies as much as it did. And when you've got a movie where the ending is literally a little naked kid, it, that's uh, kind of hard to cut around. So I think that may have been what uh, kind of hindered that from being shown on TV as much as it could have. It's definitely more of those more of a niche cult classic kind of one remembered i'd say more as like a lesser known exploitation film rather than one of the golden age 80s slashers but i like like i said i i put it up there with any of the greats it of course spawned sequels as cecil had mentioned earlier sleepaway camp 2 unhappy campers or again thanks to wikipedia nightmare vacation 2 screw you i've never heard it referred to as that this came out in 1988 so 5 years later on a half a million dollar budget, this film was shot back to back with its sequel, Sleepaway Camp 3 Teenage Wasteland, which we'll talk about in a minute. This one, I thought, honestly, I thought Angela was better in this one because obviously she's older and I got nothing against Felicia, F- Felicia Rose. Her performance actually in the first film was one of the things I did like. I Felis- thought I, I'm Felissa Rose. Felissa, sorry. Felissa Rose. I actually did like her performance because she gave a very vulnerable yet something was off kind of yeah kind of performance whereas pamela springsteen knows she's in a comedy and that's the way she plays it okay i've, I've heard michael simpson refer to these as black comedies and satires of horror films I, i'm not sure if i agree with that the tone is the tone of two and three it's a con it, they're just straight up comedies really all of the characters are named after brat pack members the cover is angela or in quotes, Angela, because it's not Pamela Springsteen or Felissa, Felissa Rose. So mm. Angela with a backpack full of Jason's mask, Freddy's glove, and a chainsaw. These are just straight up comedies, almost parodies. Problem is, I didn't find them remotely funny or well made. Coming off of the first one and seeing this one being uh, so much more comedy based, it definitely takes a dip. I, I I don't know. I thought it was funny for for what it was. It was uh, a, a little bit of a time artifact because you had all the the girls with the big poofy hair. You had girls that were getting naked for absolutely no reason, which I'm not complaining about. But it's like something like that doesn't really fly as much today. You had some some good kills. You had um, a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a twist, but not really uh, in the movie. You know, nowhere nowhere to the degree of the first movie. And uh, I I liked it for what it was. It, it's it's not a bad movie at all. Like it doesn't it doesn't compare to the first one, but it wasn't trying to be the first one. It was trying to be its own thing. It didn't fail, but it didn't succeed as well as the first one did. This one, Unhappy Campers, being direct-to-video along with Teenage Wasteland, well, and all the rest of them, really. I, I don't have any, like, numbers on how much money it made or how many units it moved. I remember these being regular renters at the video store, and next week we'll talk about the video store in general. These were regular renters. I went through some old Fangoria's and some old Cinema Fantastiques, and these films were hated upon their initial release. And I can see where they're coming from. 
the of course movies, the critics. These are not well. I mean, I can I, right now. Let's just talk about Unhappy Campers. It's not a well-made movie. I mean, literally, you can see the boom mic in various shots. Which, knowing it's a parody, I'm sure Michael Simpson will say that was intentional. These are just, they look like they were slapped together and shot back-to-back over a two-week period. These look like cash-ins more than sequels. And Pamela Springsteen, she's god-awful in this. She She's terrible in these. I don't know what you think of her, Cecil, but Felissa Rose and her, there's no way if it wasn't for the name that you could tell these were supposed to be the same character. No, well, I was reading something earlier where some somebody, had, some great director had said, you know, never let your actor know that they're going to be in a comedy if they're not if they're not already like comedically timed because they'll start hamming it up and i think that's the problem with uh, angela you know with pamela Springsteen. she looks directly at the camera all the time and almost winks yeah she played it up too much like if they had told her that it wasn't going to be a comedy to play it straight it would have been funnier and it would have been more believable but this it was kind of like i'm gonna murder you you know and like looks at the camera and so yeah that did kind of like it it she hammed it up a bit too much uh but as far as critics hating the movie, of course they're going to hate the movie. They hate all these kind of movies. So, th- I mean, this could have been one of the best slashers ever, and they still would have, like, I mean, it, it wasn't, but, I mean, it's they still would have found something wrong with it or, uh, you know, talked down about it because uh, it's just the kind of movie that they always shit on. Uh, I can't really hate the sequel, at least, uh, at least uh, two and three. In regards to two... I sort of see it on the same level as uh, the Slumber Party Massacre films, where it's like the first one is a good, genuinely sleazy, fun slasher, and then the sequels are kind of just ridiculous and clearly played a lot more for laughs. We're gonna have and, to do uh, that. For, we're gonna have to do that franchise early next year, man. Agreed. Cool. Agreed. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, I wouldn't uh wouldn't mind hosting that one possibly. I don't know, but yeah, in regards to to unhappy campers i don't know if i'd even call call those ones as enjoyable as the slumber party massacre sequels but i would say it's the same sort of level where they were played more more for laughs and as far as uh, as far as unhappy campers goes that was definitely played more for laughs than anything did it do a good job of it? It didn't do a bad job. I didn't think it, they were particularly bad movies. Unhappy Campers, I found a little bit better than three, but I guess we'll talk about that one later. I do agree that uh, Springsteen's daughter was awful. Um, just, sister. I guess that could. It's, it's sister. Bruce Springsteen's sister. Bruce Springsteen's sister, yeah. Just not good, which can maybe add to the enjoyment of it because her acting is so horrible that it could, I guess, be considered a so bad that it's good kind of thing. I do consider it an it's an enjoyable enough movie. It's one of those ones you can you can put on with like a group of your friends and and watch and sort of laugh at, but it's not one that I find myself uh revisiting all that often like to me the the first one ultimately has the most rewatch value. Well, as I said before, 2 and 3 were shot back to back. So also in well this came out in 1989 because of editing, but Sleepaway Camp 3, Teenage Wasteland, also by Michael Simpson, Pamela Springsteen again. This one has a lot of the same problems that 2 did. Pamela Springsteen's ridiculously over the top. It's clearly a comedy, but it's so ridiculous at this point that they're not even pretending that it's a slasher movie anymore. This, they're almost mm. right in, they're almost in Setzer and Freeburg territory. Like, there's a scene where a bunch of kids are fishing and they're pulling up a knifed glove 
and a mask, a, a hockey <laughs> mask, and you just throw them over their shoulders. This one is almost a Setzer Freeberg movie before Setzer Freeberg. I hated this one the most out of the three, quote, real movies in the franchise. I thought Teenage Wasteland was god awful. I mean, it opens with Angela driving a dump truck into a woman <clears throat> in the middle of the city so she can steal her identity. And it's like, are you even, you're not even pretending to be a real slasher movie anymore, are you? Three is definitely ridiculous, and there's a lot of stupid things like that. I wouldn't put it as bad as a Seltzer Friedberg movies, because at least, I don't know, there was a certain charm to it. I mean, their movies are just, like, stupid. Like, they do things that don't even make sense in them to try to be, like, this at least, they kept the references within the slasher genre. In the Seltzer and Friedberg movies, they'll just have somebody show up like he looks like Napoleon Dynamite and he's wearing a shirt that says, don't vote for Pedro. And it's like, that's... But, but I mean, like in the second film, all the cam- all of the campers are named after the Brat Pack, like St. Elmo's Fire in that. And you go, okay, that was random and stupid. Yeah, but the thing is, while you're watching the movie, the majority of the audience isn't going to pick up on that. There's like, uh, that's just one of those things where it's like, oh, they... They decided to name all the characters after the Rat Pack. So what? There's a lot of movies that uh, they're really big fans of something. So th- uh, they name all the characters after, you know, something that they like or something that, uh, you know, has a tie to it. Like in uh, in the remake of Black Christmas, they named all the characters after uh, their their last name was taken from famous sing- famous song. Ugh. Their last name was taken from singers who had famous Christmas songs. It was a cool little thing, you know. So well, maybe maybe uh, the director was a really big fan of the Rat Pack, and he decided to uh, name all the characters after them. That's the not Rat a... Pack. The Rat Pack is like Sinatra and stuff. There's oh, you said the Brat Pack. Yeah, the okay. Brat Pack. Charlie. Oh, you're Sheen, talking Emilio Charlie. Estevez, yeah, Demi Breakfast Moore. Club. Yeah. No, I thought you said the Rat Pack, but even still, the the point still stands. Okay, so he was a really big fan of the Breakfast Club and uh, decided to name all the character decided to name all the characters after uh, Brat Pack members. Uh, so what? Three is definitely weak. Uh, it definitely goes way overboard on the comedy, and uh, it kind of made me sad that um, uh, Robert Hiltzak had sold the rights because it's like, okay, is is this the direction that we're going to go? But then it stopped with three. Like, I really thought that, uh, you know, they were going to continue because it looked like they were going to keep spoofing along. But I don't know if he lost the rights or if it just didn't make as much money and they just decided to not keep going. But uh, I did like the uh, the cover for two. But three, uh, three definitely had a girl again who was not Pamela Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> and uh trying to really up the uh the sexy quotient and then you see it and it's like okay well all the other girls are good looking and uh you know she's kind of just this awkward weird frizzy haired girl and uh i don't know uh so three is definitely the weakest of the original trilogy Ah, uh, yeah i agree it's um as, as far as the supposed original trilogy yeah three just you can tell it was shot back to back with two Three being the weaker script, they were just trying to trying to shovel something along and get it out as as quickly as possible. Not not many redeeming qualities with three. Not that there were too many with two to begin with, but when you've got less redeeming qualities than uh than unhappy campers, you've got teenage wasteland and uh, you've got a piece of shit. 
you do, but it's not as big of a piece of shit as this one, Sleepaway Camp 4, The Survivor, is not even a real Sleepaway Camp movie. It doesn't fit with the Hiltzek movies nor the Simpson movies, so it's sort of in its own thing. I, I think Cecil described it pretty well. It's a Franken film. It started off as one thing, and they got about a half hour of, in quotes, usable footage, 34 minutes to be precise, before Double Helix Films went out of business. So it sat on the shelf for years until Anchor Bay paid to edit that together along with some new really bad voiceover. Seriously, I can hear an echo. I swear the voiceover was recorded either on a speakerphone or in a freaking bathroom. (laughs) It's basically a clip show of the first three films with some new footage wrapped around it and now another actress playing Angela. The problem is... It it, it takes the problem that any clip show tends to take when they go from movies. Like, remember how in Jaws 4, Ellen Brody was having flashbacks to events she wasn't present for? Well, that's what happens here. You're watching this one and you go, how is Angela having a flashback to that? She wasn't there. This one, <laughs> this one is really annoying. I mean, for the fact that it's a 90-minute movie that has 34 minutes of original footage, this one I don't even consider a real movie. This was just a terrible exercise in exploiting your audience. Eh, but the thing is, it wasn't like it. All it was, they were uh, they were trying to make the movie. It, you know, the company went out of business. It wasn't like they put it together. It was and they sold it they took it they went out of business and the footage sat around for like 10 years and when anchor bay uh was going to release the um the box set they thought it would be a cool thing if they took the footage and then released it and then some fans got together and managed to put the film together and kind of quote unquote finish it so it's not like it's something that was put together and then released to the public and it ended up being a piece of crap. It was something that, for all intents and purposes, we never would have seen otherwise. So I don't see a problem with it. I don't think that it's good, but I think that it's cool that we could at least see it. When it comes to this one, uh, I I can't really defend it as much as Cecil did. I think this was something that should have just been left on the cutting room floor and not finished. The footage looks like it was intended for a porn parody of Sleepaway Camp. I mean, just oh, it was shot on video. It was shot on videotape. You could see yeah, that absolutely. And it honestly, I'm thinking the woman in it playing Angela is just the chick from the other the box arts from uh, from two and three. And it looked like they were just shooting promotional footage for a possible box art for a fourth film and never actually shot any real footage for the movie itself. It was just it just looked like it was going to be used for promotional stock images to use for the the next film's poster, like because because I don't think that. That chick was ever actually intended to play Angela. It's just, it's a Franken film that is worse than, and honestly, I love um, Silent Night, Deadly, Deadly Night Part 2 as much of a clip show as it is. You know, the the brother being the killer is, is, is so over the top, and, and that movie's at least got garbage day, whereas this literally <laughs> is just, just a crappy little Franken film with unusable footage and a clip show from all the other movies. It, it just reminds you, well, I could just be watching sleepaway camps one two and three right now why am i watching this piece of shit? let me put it to you this way though let's say that somebody made a friday the 13th part 11 and they made about you know 34 minutes of it and the company that made it went out of business somewhere along the lines 
the footage got leaked onto Cinemageddon or something. You're telling me that you wouldn't want to download it and watch it? I would uh, probably download it and watch it, yeah, but it, it depends also. Like, is it actual footage of a movie or is it just like random promotional image posing shots? Yeah, because, okay, I know where Peter's going with this, and I'm on Peter's side with this. The, quote, original footage in The Survivor is all pointless, meaningless crap. It's just Angela lounging on a beach, Angela walking through the woods. There's no story to any of the footage that they shot. Yeah, exactly. The only thing that I could think of, and unfortunately, you know, without talking to the people that filmed it, they were, you know, stuff is filmed out of order all the time. Maybe maybe they were still writing the film and they were uh, they were just kind of filming uh, some stuff that they were going to use later. I mean, it was uh, they could have been just filming B-roll and uh, they I mean, maybe the company I mean, the company was obviously in trouble if they only got a half hour like out of everything. They got a half hour of footage and then they went out of business. So maybe they kind of knew that they were going out of business and just filmed whatever they could and hoping that they wouldn't go out of business, and then they did. So, I don't know. But, I mean, for, for Sleepaway Camp fans, if, you know, they fa- they found out that this stuff existed, and they watched it, and there it was. So, it, it, I don't really see it being a big deal. It's it's not canon with the series. It's just something that's cool. Hey, look, this happened. Speaking of canon with the series, this series doesn't seem to have any canon, because the next film, 2008's Return to Sleepaway Camp, says... Two, three, and four never happened. I guess then the the footage of two and three and four is an even more of a contradiction when none of those happened. But Robert Hiltzik returns. This time he got Magnolia Films to put up some money, and I think made the worst film in the franchise. I think this is worse than The Survivor. For some reason, he decided that Alan should be the character that we're going to care about. Alan is... <laughs> I don't think I've ever wanted a slasher movie character to die faster than Alan. And yet, the film is arranged in such a way that we're supposed to feel sorry for Alan. And yet, Alan is not only the biggest loser in the world, he is a bully to other people, and we're supposed to feel bad when he gets bullied by bullies. And it's like, Hiltzik, do you not understand how sympathy in horror films is supposed to work? And then, (laughs) okay, I'm going to reveal the plot twist. The sheriff, the whole time is so obviously Felissa Rose in a really, really bad beard and nose. And then when that turns out to be the plot twist, I was like, are you going two and three route? Was this supposed to be funny? Because that was so obviously Felissa Rose from the very first moment that Sheriff showed up. There was no plot. It was like Hiltzik was, like he was backed into a corner, like I gotta come up with a plot twist that's better than the first one. Got to, got to. Look, it's Angela again, and you didn't even know she was in the movie. Except it's so... Clearly, Felissa Rose. (laughs) This film was just awful. I thought the writing was worse than the first film. The editing is still a problem. Scenes go on way longer. I mean, literally, there are scenes where Alan's bullying somebody, and then he walks off screen, and the other actors stand there for like four seconds, like wondering, okay, the scene's over, right? I mean, they look like they're about to break character, because the scene just doesn't cut away. I don't think Robert Hiltzik knows how to edit a movie. He's only made two films both of these and they're edited like shit robert hiltzik does not know how to edit a film okay well I, I'm, that's I'm because calming down, he's not the editor but he controls the editor if you are a good director you will fall back onto your director of photography and your editor and you'll listen to their advice because there are a lot of times where a director will have a vision 
And then the DOP or and the editor will be like, you know, this will work better if we do it this way. And the bad directors are the ones who are like, no, it's it's this way. It has to be this way. And this is Birdemic this- editing, dude. You know the way in Birdemic the scenes just not. Yes, it is. It is nowhere near that. Shut up. Birdemic, they they just that keeps going, and this I mean, okay, it goes a couple of seconds. Birdemic scenes keep going and going and going, like to a like ridiculous extreme. Now you're you're definitely reaching. I I I didn't mind Return to Sleepaway Camp. I I thought it was cool. I actually see the thing is, don't know if I would have been fooled by Angela as playing the sheriff or not because I knew going in that she was the sheriff. So I already you know was like, okay, that's. So I can't say for sure that I would have automatically recognized that that was her. You have to admit, that was one of the worst, quote, disguises. That was so, even if you didn't know it was Felissa Rose, that was so clearly a woman in a beard. Well, I would have suspected, you know, maybe it was something. I don't know if I would have said specifically that it was her. But even still, I don't know. I mean, I, I've seen I've seen worse. I, I liked I liked Return. I liked that uh, he was able to go back to uh, the franchise that uh, he made famous and continue it on his own terms. A lot of people uh, don't have that opportunity. And I know he's talking, you know, he'd been talking for years about how uh, the studio wants to do a remake. And uh, I'm <laughs> there's part of me that wants them to remake this movie because I know that they will not have the balls to actually remake the original ending. <laughs> the balls. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I really don't think that they would. I think that they would uh, they would go PG-13 and they would chicken out somehow. They would either have it be the same, but he'd be wearing like shorts and, oh, and no, have like Cecil, a character be like, oh, my God, it's a boy. Cecil, like, you couldn't of, do that. You couldn't do that ending in a modern movie today. The, oh, the right. Political correctness. Would not, oh, you're making fun of. Tra- Look at just the Zoolander 2 thing with Benedict Cumberbatch playing a transgender model. And the whole thing, do you have a hot dog or a bun? Yeah. And all people are wanting that movie banned. There's no way you could do that in today's PC culture. You're making fun of transgender. You couldn't do it. You couldn't. No, There's no, no you're, you're right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, I, I was like, oh, silly me thinking that, uh, you know, people are, are not insane. You could. And just all the people that would be screaming and crying on Twitter, you just ignore them. You're like, okay, hey, uh, you're going to piss and moan about this? Well, you know what? We're not going to report about it, and we're not going to give you any attention. And then they'll move on to the next thing they can be outraged about. No, I'm dead serious. Right now, the the thing is, the people that are freaking out about all this kind of stuff are the are the ones, they're the keyboard warriors. They're the ones that piss and moan on so, on social media. And all the, the, they get, they get attention from Buzzfeed and from the news and everything else and makes it seem like a bigger deal than it is. But if they would just freaking ignore these people that you think the majority of the general public gives a crap that uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, is playing a transgender person. The majority of people are going to be like, hey, Zoolander, I thought that movie was funny and the sequel's out. Let's go see it. And then they're going to go and they're going to see his character and they're going to laugh about it and they're not going to have any idea that there is a whole bunch of people that have done nothing but piss and moan and protest about it online. I think Benedict Cumberbatch makes a perfect transgendered person. I know, he kind of has that face in general, doesn't he? Yeah, it's very, very gender neutral. 
I did hate Alan just as much as you did. I did not understand where they were going with that character. Yeah. I didn't get uh, feeling sympathy for him. Um, I didn't mind the movie itself, though. I did like see. I did like seeing all the all the actors coming together to make another movie. Yes, it was obvious that that was Angela under all the makeup. I think the movie was probably self-aware about that because it did kind of feel satirical in a way. It sort of felt, uh, I don't know if you guys got the same vibe from it, but it felt a bit like a trauma movie. Like the same sort of video quality, like it it looked like one of the later trauma flicks, like a bit like, uh, like I'm trying to think of of some of them, like it looks a bit like Terra Firmer. Toxic Avenger 4. Yeah, it, it has or that vibe to it. Tromeo, Tromeo and Juliet. No, no, Tromeo and Juliet yes. looked like it was shot on film. I think he's talking about more how Terror Farmer, even though if it was shot on film since it was edited on video, it has that weird in-between look where it's not mm. quite, it's better mm. than video, but worse than film. Gotcha. Yeah, it's really, it's kind of a, the movie's got that same sort of weird vibe. I thought the, like, I was disappointed by certain aspects of it, like just how comparatively to the first movie the the kills in that one are great like they're really gross looking like uh to me i always because i i've always i've always uh had a thing about bees uh since i was a kid so that like bee scene in the first movie always freaked me out and and then you look at the really shitty cheaply made cg deaths and that one oh my where, god when the pothead got set on fire yeah i, I said just- I said, yeah, I've got a PlayStation 1 game that has that same effect in it. <laughs> and what's that one, um, the dude from uh, from Sopranos that gets his, like, the cage put on his head and it just, like, cuts to black for, like, 10 seconds? Yeah, it's like, could you not film the, what was it, a hamster or something eating his face? Did you yeah, forget to the... film that part? Yeah, that was just odd how they and then at the end of the movie there's that like there's that dead dude on or like dying dude on the ground with like his been rib- skinned yeah and that's like an amazing effect and it's like where was that for the rest of the movie i, I think didn't that understand. that they ate up all of the effects budget so they had to go to yeah, that cgi have, and black screens i think so yeah where they they should have maybe uh distributed a bit of that budget across the uh the rest of the movie and given us some some worthwhile death scenes if you wanted to actually call back to part one I guess it was kind of nice uh, to see Isaac Hayes in uh, in his kind of last role, even though he kind of did nothing and just sort of meandered about through the whole movie. And then and he just vanishes at one point. Yeah, he, just, he doesn't die. He doesn't leave. He just stops appearing in the movie. I don't know if like they had a fallout on the set or something. Isaac Hayes's character just stops appearing in the movie and is never mentioned again after about the 35 minute mark. I don't know if I like I don't I don't hate it. I think it was uh, better than better than two and three for sure. Obviously better than four. It's um it's a nice little throwbacky follow up to part one. It's not perfect. Some of the kills are really bad. Alan is really unlikable, but I guess it was nice to see uh some of the cast returning from the first film to kind of reunite and, and make another movie. I think, if anything, for the nostalgia factor, if you like the first one, you're probably going to enjoy Return to Sleepaway Camp just for the novelty of seeing some of the actors returning. But that's that's about all I've got to say about it. And see, I just I don't think this is a very strong franchise. As franchises go, and we've talked about numerous times on multiple retrospectives, when you start getting into, no, this sequel is canon, but this one is not, no, now I'm saying this one is canon, but this one is not, you know you have a problem as a franchise in general. And that this one does that very, very much. Every other film says the previous films didn't happen. I think a lot of people do remember the first film. 
most likely for the twist ending or the the shock at the end. It's not so much a twist as more of a shock. I think people forget that there were sequels to Sleepaway Camp, let alone four sequels. Two and three, people probably ran across at the video store. I think people are ge- would genuinely be surprised that there's a four and five. Well, the the basically the way I look at it is the creator of the series has final say. So even though there was two and three and four, I mean, he came along, he did the first one, and then he did five, which he considers the direct sequel to the first one. And so if you want to put that in canon, like that's the canon is the first one and then five. So the other ones are, you know, they are what they are. They're they're funny and, uh, you know, the quality kind of goes back and forth. Overall, it's it's just that the first one is one of the most under like I shouldn't say not underrated under the radar horror films because uh, everybody knows Halloween and Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. And, uh, you know, they're, they're huge. They're, there's a reason why they're big, but uh, this one, it definitely deserves its place in horror history. I won't even say, you know, that the sequels deserved it because they, they don't because two, two and three are not really, you know, even the, the, the original creator, Robert Hilsack, he, he always, he said on uh, the Blu-ray about how he really shouldn't have uh, licensed it out because it kind of tarnished the movies. Four is kind of a mess, and then five tries to recapture uh, the spirit of the original, but it just was too far between the two to really be able to recapture that. I still like it, but it definitely is a drop-off of quality from the original one. So I, I really, as a whole... I enjoy one and four the most. I like two. I think three is kind of a mess. And four, four doesn't count. You, you said four. I think you meant five there before that, that you liked. Oh, did I say four? Uh, four? Okay, yeah, I you, meant five. You said one and, one and four you liked. One and five. Yeah, now I'm all mixed up on it. Well, okay. How about one and return? I like. All right, fair enough. I don't know if a Sleepaway Camp needed to be a franchise. Um, I think it easily could have just been left with one really solid film because that seems to be the one that people remember the most fondly. Not a lot of people have that many great things to say about two and three. Not a lot of people even know that four exists. And five is really just kind of a nice little nostalgic trip down memory lane for people that enjoyed the first one. It's not not a particularly great movie. Neither were two, neither were three. And four was outright pointless. I don't think they shouldn't exist Technically, I guess, I mean, because I guess, you know, I did have some fun with two. I had some fun with five. But I really, it's it's Sleepaway Camp is one of those things where I, I do wish it was just a standalone in the in the slasher genre. You know, uh, being next to other other cool movies that stood stood on their own, like like The Burning and uh, Mad Men and uh, My Bloody Valentine. Like, I feel like it it would it, it has a good place with uh, with movies like that that are just like nice solid 80s uh, sleazy shockers instead of having this um, sort of pointless franchise where it just uh, eventually, well, not eventually, straight away got very, very watered down uh, compared to its source material. I think the franchise didn't, I agree with you guys, didn't need to exist. I mean, just a few weeks ago, we discussed whether sequels ruin the original movies. Even though I did not like the first film, it has its place in the early 80s slasher boom history. Fine, fair enough. But that said, the sequels do kind of water it down, don't they? Yeah. You know, they they really don't need to exist. 
And I think that's part of the problem is they just don't need to exist. This is something weird that I do want to point out. There is technically a sixth Sleepaway Camp movie in Europe. In Europe, the 1989 movie that we have over here, Memorial Valley Massacre, and this was actually titled like this on screen, on its box cover, Son of Sleepaway Camp. Oh, God. Memorial Valley Massacre was released on video in the early 90s in Europe as Son of Sleepaway Camp. They also edited in hardcore porn scenes because Europe. But, <laughs> but yeah, so technically in Europe, there is Son of Sleepaway Camp. Now, I don't know any history behind this. I guess that means the Sleepaway Camp franchise, because this would have come out right after Part 3, really was a hit in Europe to the point where they were starting to make unofficial Italian-style Jaws 5 sequels to it. That <laughs> that says something about, I don't know, the Europeans were obsessed with, like, I don't think the Europeans have summer camp, so that's maybe a an American thing that they just love. My mind for this franchise is just... I did not enjoy the first. I didn't enjoy any of the films. And, I, and you guys know I love early 80s slashers. This one, even when I saw it, came out when I was eight. I probably saw it on home video, maybe 88, 89, when the sequels came out. I just never liked this one. There's just something about it that never hit me. I'm also one of the people that doesn't like the burning. There's just certain slasher movies that don't do it for me, and this is one. That doesn't mean it's a bad movie. It just means I didn't like it. Cecil has been revealed to be a chick with a penis, but where can people see that? <laughs> um, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, you can see me um, not a chick with a penis. Uh, at um, <laughs> I'm completely flummoxed. Uh, at uh, escapistmagazine.com, goodbadflicks.com, uh, YouTube, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and all your usual places where uh, I will not be posting pictures of myself from the waist down. <laughs> Peter is actually less subtle of an actor than Pamela Springsteen. Where can people see that? You can find me exposing myself all over the internet on uh, at the Twitters, at Cinematica, on Facebook, The Cinemasochist, YouTube, The Cinemasochist, with some uh, new content finally coming coming your ways, and uh, on also on the on the 1201beyond.com. And you can find me uncomfortably holding edits on things way longer than they have to be to pad out the runtime at 1201beyond.com. You can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, you can go get t-shirts and things like that. Don't forget to kink up your holiday for Adam and Eve. Things you can get for a sleepaway camp, although it's a different kind of role-playing than, you know what I mean. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold.
1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.